Hello, and welcome to the Aseret Podcast, where we learn about character, kindness, wisdom, and values from living examples of inspiring people. Each and every one of us is more than who we think we are. We cannot but be ourselves, and yet we are also comprised of the genes and personality of our parents, and they in turn by theirs, continuing through every single other person in our family history, and eventually going back to the beginning of human life itself. In this week's episode, I speak with Rabbi Shalom Schwartz about his relationship with the fifth Diber, Kibud of the Aim, honoring parents. Rabbi Shalom's love, awe, respect, and appreciation for his parents and grandparents is deep and heartfelt, and a potent reminder for all of us about just how much we have to be grateful for, for the gift of life itself. You will learn what it means to honor parents, how to learn from their wisdom and example, and how all of this Diber is connected to our relationship with God and the land of Israel. This episode should inspire all of us to learn more about our own family histories and the wondrous and mysterious beauty of Masora, of traditions traveling through time and through to today. It is something worth listening to right before the Passover Seder, the ultimate ritual in connecting children with the rich tradition and chain that goes back to Abraham and Sarah, the parents who started it all. Rav Shalom is the founder of Project Aseret, a movement aimed at reawakening the Ten Commandments as core values of the Jewish people in Israel and beyond. To learn more about what inspired him to create such a powerful movement, see link in the show notes for a prior interview I did with him. Before Project Sirat, Rav Shalom started as one of the earliest students of Rav Noach Weinberg's at Salavesha Torah, served as founding director of Aish Toronto, and upon making Aliyah, he directed Aish's Russian program in Israel and in the former Soviet Union. He and his wife, Debbie, have seven children and Kanei Nahora, 27 delicious grandchildren. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy it and find it meaningful. Please like and subscribe wherever you may be listening. Rav Shalom, thank you so much for coming to speak to us today. My pleasure. Okay. How do you respond to that? How do I respond to that, Tiber? Well, it's, it's, it's a fascinating positioning, first of all. I mean, a lot of commentators and, and you know, you have, the first question that arises for many, is that if you look at the Ten Commandments as we normally see them as two lists of uh, that were appeared on two luchot, the two tablets, so there's five on each side according to our tradition. The Gemara discusses other possibilities of actually how they were, but let's assume that we're working with that tradition. And um, the fifth one on the, in Hebrew, it's the right-hand side, the fifth column, the fifth of the first side of the right-hand side, as we say in Hebrew, of the Ten Commandments, says, uh, honor your parents. So it, it raises questions about the standard division of these are like five between man and God and five between man to man. So if you're looking at that question, he's like, well, of course, your parents ostensibly are people. So what are they doing on the man to God side of these commandments? And um, I think when, when you look at that question deeply, you get a tremendous insight into the understanding of the Torah with of, of what the nature of parent-children relationships are really all about. And, um, you know, on so many levels. But the, the one that strikes me is that, you know, the Gemara says that there are three shutafim, the three partners in the creation of a person, your mother, your father, and God. And that partnership is something that doesn't just happen at the moment of creation. Uh, of the child, but it's actually an ongoing relationship dimension of your relationship with your parents. 
And as, as a, I think it's a quote from Freud that um, speaks about the relationship that we extend to God or the creation or the, the way we tend to relate to God is the extension of our relationship with our parents. He tried and, to explain that pathologically. Right, exactly. So we, we take it in a positive sign that your parents actually give you the foundation of your relationship with God so that if, you're, if you have a loving parent, you learn that you can love God. You feel that relationship with God through your parents' love. God forbid you have an abusive parent. You, you tend to be in a psychological and emotional dilemma of not really knowing how to find that love and uh, you know, uh, unconditional love that we believe, and for those of us who have had good parents, feel from from God. So it's a very, very deep dimension of our ongoing lives to realize that our parents actually provide that link to our relationship with God. And I would just add, we see that we have we're supposed to also have covered for our teachers. And our and our rabbis and the same issues can arise where you meet a great teacher, and your teacher you're also to learn from your parents too. But if you create a great if you have a great teacher, that greatly positively impacts your relationship with God. And the opposite, chas you have abuse, you have taking advantage, you have bad role models, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that your teacher as well can can lead to your a desecration of your relationship with God. So I feel so blessed. You know, and, and what you're saying is that it's it's very far-reaching. It has to do with all covered relationships. So every time we have something that we've received something from someone, which is, of course, our our parents gave us they're the vehicle through which we came into the world. They gave us life. They hopefully took care of us as infants when we were completely helpful, helpless. And that ongoing care and love and commitment that we feel from any from another human being when you think about it, that gets embedded in our consciousness if it's done in the right way. And chas God forbid, if it's done in the wrong way, where the parent is either uh, abusive, chas or is, um, what's the word, indifferent, or, or not able to cope with all the challenges of being a parent, that goes into our psyche and our emotional uh, memory. So this is a life-based, you know, the foundation of our emotional health is contained in this relationship with our parents. Uh, you know, as I, I think we've all run into some people that say, I didn't ask to be born. You know, why should I honor my parents? They chose to have me. That's not, I, well, what do you mean? I honor your well, parents. Well, God actually chose to have you, right? <laughs> okay. But I'm saying if a person ever says that, I've met people who said that. I don't I don't feel any responsibility to honor my parents. What? what okay. They had to take care of me because they chose to, to have... A child, and and I was that child. So, but why should I honor them? And I, I and you think about that on a most basic level. It shows a certain, I would say, contempt for life itself. If I don't see life as good, then the person that brought me into this state of life, I don't feel a sense of hakaratatov, a sense of gratefulness to that person because I, I'm not so happy that I'm here in this world. I didn't ask to be born. I'm not so happy that I'm in this world. I can resent the people that brought me into this world. Now that's that's not a healthy emotional state to be in. And it may be, God forbid, you have abusive parents or or parents that, like I say, sometimes it's not intentional abuse. Often it's not intentional abuse. It's just people that didn't have the emotional strength that we know is generationally the imprint of, of many of these things is going back many generations. If you had a parent who couldn't cope and was 
distant from uh, from their child, then that child is very likely, and unless they can overcome it themselves and gain awareness, c- continue the cycle of of distance with their children or whatever. You know, go hopefully everybody has free will and can recover from their parents' um, imprint. But we know that this is the norm. If it's not, if if a person is not able to become aware and overcome it. So I'm just pointing out this this Tiber, so-called, you know, one of the Ten Commandments is so pivotal when it comes to emotional health and our basic relationship to life itself. And you are alluding to gratitude for what is. You're born in this world with these people. This is your, this is what you, this is, you can't, there's no choice. There's no choice in the matter. And it's interesting, as you talked about the Luchos, that they're, you know, five and ten right, are connected to each other here. So we see lo tachmod. Tachmod is, this is what you have. You know, of course, you can strive to improve your situation, to improve your life. This is what you have. And a basic gratitude for life involves a basic gratitude for the people that made you. Because um, that's that's your chilek. That's your chilek. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to I wanna take this away from more ideas. And I want to hear, I want to hear a little bit about you, your journey, your life, I think is both an extension of this Yarichun, extending what you've are the the Masora that you've had your entire life and your own lineage, but you also made different decisions from your family, from your parents. I want you to just tell us a little bit about how you've continued their legacy, but also how you kind of broke away and made your own and how you balanced those two responsibilities culminating in Kavod. I'll just uh, begin that with a little story that happened on Shabbat. I, I I ran into somebody sitting at our table, and uh, it was one of those moments. You know, who are you? Where are you from? This this young lady is uh, is at our table. You know, very wonderful young lady. She's sitting there with her husband. I happen to know her husband from um, he was a a roommate of my son in yeshiva, and so I recognized him, shy and 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 this wife Jacqueline is introducing herself. And I say, where are you from? She says, Canada. I said, really, where? She says, Toronto. I said, really, what's your maiden name? She says, Shear, S-H-E-A-R. I said, really, are you related to Glenn Shear? She says, yeah, that's my father. <laughs> so, and I start telling her stories about her grandparents, actually, and her great-grandmother, who lived on our street in Toronto. And we're going through this, and she's like in awe, and we're both sitting there going, oh, okay, so we sort of know each other. We're connected. And her father studied with me and her, her grandparents studied with me. And we, we had a relationship with her great-grandmother. I'm telling her she never knew her great-grandmother. So uh, this is one of the... And, and why did I bring it up? So when I was telling her about my story, I made a very... Something I... I my son was sitting at the table, my son Yoni. And when I said something like, oh, my parents weren't religious or something like that. I made some statement. I don't know exactly what it was. And Yoni said, looked at me and said, well, really? They weren't religious? Like he was correcting my, in a very gentle and very appropriate way, as Kivadav Aim, he was like questioning my description of my parents because he, he knew too my simplistic. parents. Way too simplistic. Yeah, it was, it, and it was, it was just, you know, the way people throw out ideas. Yeah, my parents weren't religious, I'm religious. You know, that kind of a, a, a description when you're just giving the superficial history. And Yoni was very sensitive to it. And he said, I'm a, like he, and he did it in the exact way you're supposed to do it. In the, the laws of Kivadav Like he didn't like, say. Can you just like, a little bit of those on the way here? 
Right. It, it, you're not. You're not supposed to. First of all, you're not supposed to speak in any derogatory manner about your parents. That's keep it of the aim. Honoring your parents is in speech, in in action, and in thought. And here I was saying something like it was derogatory about my parents, and it was false. And and that that was like whoa. And I wasn't even paying attention. And then Yoni, in the exact way you're supposed to correct a parent in public which is that you're not allowed to say to your parent, oh, is that wrong? I can't believe you said that. The lacha the, the is very specific. You have to ask a question very subtly, not directly, uh, state that your parent is making a mistake, to point it out to them in a way that they can accept it, that you're not standing up to them and, you know, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> what are you talking about? And he did it in a beautiful way. And he just sort of said, you know, Abba, Really? Like something like that, and he and he helped me to adjust my entire discussion about this to point out how my religious my parents were and how benefit how 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 much how grateful I am. You know, I talked about my grandmother, who was really the source of my connection to God in a very experiential way. How how was that? Tell us about that. So my my grandmother, Allah Shalom, on my mother's side, my Babi Blima. Was grew up in Poland in a shtetl in Chmelnik, and she grew up in a very religious home. And she was a bat kohen. There were kohanim, and she, and she was my living model of someone who believed in God and carried that. You could hear the way she spoke about it. When a person says the word God, or they say God willing or with God's help, you know whether they're real with it or not. And my grandmother, thank God, was real with that and was the only person in my in my early childhood that had that depth of connection that made God real to me. I believed in God. My mother also had a strong belief in God. But the reality quotient of my grandmother was so evident to me that when I look back on it, that's where I knew God was real and that you could live in a way that God was real in your life. So I look back, I'm so grateful that I had that experience as a child. And all of us that knew her, I mean, she she spread that wherever she went. And she was you know, they, like many of our, that generation, she she didn't maintain all of the commitment to the halakha the way she did as a child. She came to America and had all the challenges of Parnassah and everything that happened in that generation. But her deep connection with her Jewish identity and with Israel was very, very profound. A very profound influence on my life. And and I'll I'll use this opportunity to explain the next. Part of that story, my grandmother, I was very close with her, as you can probably feel. And I, on my, one of my trips back to, well, first of all, let me start over. She and, and my grandfather traveled to Israel in 1968, whatever. I think it might have been earlier. But they, they went to Israel because their family, my grandfather's cousins that survived the war were in Israel. They're Israelis. They went to visit their family in Israel. She came back and took her children on a trip to Israel, including my mother and my father. And as a result of that, when my brother's bar mitzvah in 1971 was happening, my parents decided instead of making a big party, they would take our family, our immediate family, to Israel. So in December of 1971, I stepped foot in Israel for the first time, and I fell in love with Jerusalem. I fell in love with Israel, my soul somehow connected with Eretz Yisrael in a way that was life-changing. And that was really because from my grandmother's decision to take her family, my mother therefore take. After being 
in Israel for a period of time after that. I eventually came on, spent time on kibbutz and went to yeshiva. In around, I would guess this is like 1975 now. I'm coming back on a visit from having studied in Israel, and I'm speaking to my grandmother. And in the middle of the conversation, she starts speaking to me in Yiddish. And I stop her and I say, Bubba, you don't, I don't speak Yiddish. Why are you speaking to me in Yiddish? And she looks at me and she says, you know, I see you with a kippah and a beard. And I, I forgot that you don't speak Yiddish. And at that moment, she starts looking over my shoulder to some place in the past. And she comes back to me and she says, I want to share something with you. She says, when your Zadie and I first went to Israel, it was by boat from Halifax to Haifa. And when we saw the shores of Haifa, I got very overwhelmed. And when we got off the boat, I, I went down to the ground. I bent down to the ground and kissed the ground. And I cried. And she said, as the tears were flowing out of my eyes, I realized that these tears were not just my tears alone. They were the tears of my eight brothers and sisters that were killed in the Holocaust and my family, extended family, uncles, aunts and t- that were killed. And that the, the tears were also the tears of generations of Jews before me that had cried tears of longing to come back to Israel and would have given anything to be where I was at that moment, actually standing in this modern state of Israel. And I felt their presence with me. And I remember looking at my grandmother and crying with her at that moment. And I said, Bubby, that's so moving. And I was close to my grandmother. So I said to her, how is it that you never shared this with me before? I was 25 or something. and Not 25. I was uh, whatever, in my early 20s. And she looked at me and she said, how could I have? Well, you were into your sports. You were into your relationships. You were into what you were into. Now that you've lived in Jerusalem and you yourself have a relationship with this longing to come back to Israel, so I can share it with you. You can appreciate what I'm saying. And I, I want to sh- point that this story for me really speaks to the last part of the Diber. It says, Honor your parents in order that the days, your days will be lengthened on the land that Hashem gives to you. It's actually in the present tense. He's giving to you. And he's, still, he's giving us this land as an extension of his love, but we can only connect with the land, which was given initially to Avram Avinu. The first statement of Avram Avinu is, go to the land. And when we think about honoring our parents, we speak about our forefathers and our foremothers. It's through our grandparents and our great-grandparents that the very fact that we have a land that we consider the land of the Jewish people, Artseinu Kadosha, Eretz Yisrael, is only because that that Mesorah, that connection over generations and generations was passed on from parents to children, parents to children, and the children had the deber, the, the responsibility to honor that message to maintain it by honoring it and honoring the messages that were coming down for thousands of years to my grandmother, to me, and now Bezrat Hashem to my children. So it's a, it's fascinating how the, the Diber itself, this fifth commandment, speaks both to honoring your parents, which is, of course, honoring your past, and that the past, the connection is related to specifically the memory, the connection, and the commitment to continue that in Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel. And it's amazing. 
you go from the generation right above you. They took you to Israel. Then you had a, he's already, you woke up to the land. And that was from really from your grandmother, more from your, even more before them to your grandmother. And your grandmother felt that she was crying the tears of people way before her. It just speaks to the collective memory of it's not just the it's generation upon generation because each generation had the responsibility for the generation before and in a way you've continued something way beyond you going back to Avram Avinu everything it's almost like it's respect the Masora it goes all the way back to Sarah Imenu Avram Avinu it's all it's all connected to the the meta of the forefathers and foremothers and so I think it's an incumbent on us in this debate to think about history, to think about our relationship to history, our individual stories, our collective stories. And it's deep. It's very, very deep and long-term, just like the land, just like the land and our relationship to the land has been deep and long-term. So tell us, you were about to go back. You were going, you were starting with Yoni. I think it was Yoni who was telling you respectfully that you were not respecting your parents by describing them as not religious. So come on, just tell us a little bit about your relationship with your parents and how you continued and didn't continue with them and how you balanced kibud avaim. Oh my gosh, it's such a big question. You know, my, I, I'm very fortunate to have amazing, amazing parents and grandparents. My father, Zichron Lavracha, was a pillar of strength, this person who lived with his core values and gave that to his children. And I'll just give you an example. You know, they say, but the, the myths of honoring your parents is described first as honoring your father and secondly, your mother. But when it speaks about reverence for your for the parents, it switches the order. It says, it, you should have reverence for your mother and your father. It switches the order. So the explanation is usually that it's it's more natural to give honor to your mother because there's a loving, deep, loving relationship. You take her as weighty in your life and it's more natural to kind of revere or even Slow fear. Slow that down, weighty, because what does kavod mean? Yeah, so kavod comes from the root kaved, which is the word for weight or heavy, actually. It's, so the, the basic foundational principle is that you take your parents as having weight in your life. You you give them, you you care about their opinions, care about their feelings it's they're they're influential people in your life and you respond with a sense of you take them you don't they're not light you don't take it lightly your relationship with your parents is not a light issue it's a heavy issue that's what the the bear says contained in these words is recognize the the heaviness of this relationship and give it weight give it weight meaning these are people you want to be in touch with somebody you give weight to in your life you speak to them frequently you take their opinion seriously how you you don't want to hurt them in any way. That all comes from this notion of this is a heavy relationship in your life. When I think about my father, I think <laughs> my friends used to look at my father. My father was a very serious person on the one hand. He knew how to enjoy his life as well, but he was serious. So I'll tell you one story about that. When, my, when I was in high school, one summer, both my father and just my father and I were in the home. My mother was up at our cottage, and we were sharing the home. And I was working out in Scarborough, and I would drive back and forth on my bicycle to Scarborough Town Center. I, for the summer, I had a summer job out there. 
And one night I just came back and stopped at my friend's house before going home. And I thought it was going to be a short stop, but we ended up playing chess for hours. And all of a sudden at about two in the morning, there's a knock on the door at my friend's home. And my we open the door. First, my friend goes to open the door. He says, it's for you. And I come to the door. My father's there in his pajamas. And it was, and I and I look at him and he looks at me and I was like, oh my gosh. And he didn't say anything other than, you could have called. And he turned around and went back to the car. But that kind of epitomizes my father. You know, he was, here I am, a, a teenager. Am I thinking about him worrying about me? No, I'm having a good time. I wasn't, you know, partying. I was just, I was doing, I was doing what what you do at that age, you just have a good time and forget about your parents. <laughs> but my father, who was alone in the house, wonder and he, I don't know what, I never spoke to him about it much afterwards. It, it instilled fear in me for the rest of my life never to, to, to not take that phone call seriously. You know, that's, that's an example of, of a reverence for a parent, of caring for their feelings. And I, I wasn't so great at it at that time. And even to the point when I went to Israel and I lived in Israel, uh, I, I moved to I, I moved to Israel. I initially went to Israel right at the Yom Kippur War. I arrived the night of the ceasefire of the Yom Kippur War, but there were still Katusha rockets flying. I was at a kibbutz that was three miles from from uh, Lebanon and five miles from Syria, and Katusha rockets were still flying overhead. And I was like, okay, how are my parents handling this? They had a lot of respect for me, and they came and visited me on my birthday a few months later. I only found out many years later that my mother didn't sleep for six months when I was in that situation from her friends. She never told me, but she. I look at that as a something that I I regret. I I didn't you know it wasn't like you could make easy long distance phone calls at that time. It was like there was no access to phones on a regular basis. You had to arrange a phone call and, and whatever. It was like a whole thing, but. Still, I look at it, I go, I wanted to go to Israel. I felt the need to move on my feelings of solidarity with the Jewish state. And I was I was 19, you know, 18 years old at the time, and I just did it. But my mother had to carry that burden of her son being in a war zone and, and what that felt like. So this is part of the dynamic. My, I, I dated non-Jews. I had a non-Jewish girlfriend at the time. My mother said to me, you know, you really... We, we don't marry non-Jews. And I said, why? And my mother said, we just don't. And I said, why? And she said, I can't explain it to you, but we don't. So she came from a very str stronger Jewish identity than she was able to give over to me. My other siblings got it a little bit more strongly than I did, but I was very questioning. So I kind of like rebelled against what I saw as a more traditional relationship to Judaism as opposed to an intellectually based decision to be committed to, to being Jewish and so I had to find my own path and but when I then I when I found my path and I came back with a much stronger commitment and religious commitment than my parents had so that's often can be a source of conflict between some kids and their parents but as I said to my I sold this story also on Shabbat I said the moment I got back my mother this is on my second trip back my mother prepared she went to the kosher bakery my parents had a Somewhat, you know, we had milk and meat separate, but we didn't really follow kashrut on an ongoing basis. But we, there was a sense of Jewish tradition. 
some of the holidays, Pesach, of course, we did a Pesach Seder, we changed the dishes for Pesach, but I was now, you know, I come from yeshiva, and I was all you know, trying to keep the whole Torah, and I was a little fanatic about it, and and my, my parents, my mother comes, and she baked, she picked up a a cake from the kosher book bakery, and she puts it on the table, and she's got like plastic dishes and her dishes. She's got plastic cutlery and her cutlery. She's watching me closely, and I, I take the plastic knife. <laughs> I, I didn't know what I could do. I was new to this also. And I cut the cake, and I put it on the plastic dish, and she bursts out, how do I make the house kosher? <laughs> and and from that, and then I she got close with Rabbi Felder, asking her all, her all her questions. She made the house kosher, and she kept the house kosher. And my parents responded that they wanted to learn more. And my father ran the next Seder himself in a full way that he had never seen, or but he wanted to learn how to do it, and he asked me to show him how to do it. So the dynamics were Baruch Hashem, because the foundation was very respectful and very loving, they were able to embrace my new relationship to Judaism in a way that we then traveled this path together. And they supported me, and they very supportive of everything that I did Baruch Hashem, thank God. I look at it, and I had an interview with somebody else too. When you say things like, they told you not to marry a non-Jewish person, and we're going to do these things, we're going to have two separate dishes. These are elements of their kavod for the other generations. Even if they didn't understand because they lacked the awareness and the tools, they were carrying something very heavy, very, very heavy into the new world. And without those sacrifices, who knows if you would have had the strength to do what you did. And so, and then what you do is you took it on even fuller, but really you just continued what they had received in a broken way because of various circumstances. You just took it. And it's actually in many ways a further kibbutz ve'em than had you maybe become more assimilated and a little bit less connected in a way you were more connected to them. No, it's so true. So true. You hit it right on the head. I think that their, I'll put it a different way. You know, their their values, my father's commitment to truth. He was a person you could not lie to. You could not, he would well, never. Well, let's even slow that down because there's, on the just, it's a really fascinating just to know. And for people that have become more religious or less religious, but particularly here more religious than the previous generation, be very careful to, to know where you came from, because often, and I, this person that I was interviewing recently is very into Ashlagi and Kabbalah, and his family was not Orthodox, but his dad was learning Ashlagi and Kabbalah from other places and different things, and he became much more connected to it. But you got to see how you're continuing something, and that's number one, just in terms of the ritualistic, deeper levels of faith, as you talked about. But then there's personality, there's soul, there's character. And the two stories that you described about your dad, that care, that devotion, that principled doing right, truth, you came over to the house and just said something and then left, as opposed to another approach there. And the love and care of your mom, these are these are things that you can't measure in a halachic sense per se, even though we should. So tell me a little bit how you learned from them in a very direct Masora way, even if it wasn't the you know traditional Jewish understanding per se. Well, I mean, the, the, maybe in line with what our topic is, uh, my parents had extraordinary, unbelievable commitment to honoring their parents, just uh, with a depth of commitment that I can only... I, I'm in awe of it. I, 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 I did not have 
close to what they had for their parents in the sense of taking care of them, my mother's commitment to her parents and seeing them every day and to her mother-in-law. You know, my father-in-law, my, my, my Zadie, Nick, Zadie Noach passed away um, in 1976 and my mother just passed away three years ago. But her, my, my grandmother, my father's mother, lived several decades after she lost her husband. And my mother, she didn't have any daughters. She had three sons. And my mother was so devoted to her it wasn't her own mother. It was her mother-in-law. But to see the care and the commitment of her taking care of her mother-in-law, witnessing that day after day and week after week, yet that makes a deep, deep impression on your consciousness to watch Kivit in action from my parents to their parents and their in-laws. And my father was one of, you know, to give this example of my brother. My brother is an emergency physician, and he had a very, he was running an emergency room, and he had a pretty significant levels of responsibility. And he said, when my father would tell him, we're making a family uh, portrait, which my father liked to do every few years as the, the family was growing, and he'd say, Tuesday at 2, you'll be there. <laughs> Dad, I, I run an emergency room. Like Tuesday at 2, you'll be there for the family picture. And there was no questions asked. I'm, I'm just giving you an example of how the respect that my father conveyed to all of us and we and everyone was there and until and we still have these this you know family portraits from generation to generation but I, I'm giving it as an example of he he was completely committed to keeping our our whole family our four, his four sons and there and all of his grandchildren a very united group and he would bring us all to we had trips to Israel together we had Simchas together, everyone was brought in at his funeral. Everyone from around the world came together as a as an automatic feeling of, of course, Zadie would want this, that we would all be the, together for his final moments and passing from this world. So I, I think that there's something about witnessing Kivarava Aim in particular, the honoring of parents in particular, that is so foundational from a, a standpoint of character, and, of course, role modeling for your children, that's what gives them your core values. So my father had integrity and commitment to truth and a sense of responsibility that was beyond description. I, I still, when I say those words, it, these are words that can't touch really what I saw. And my mother was such a deeply caring and loving person and committed to listening, a deep, deep listener, and everyone felt that they were understood by her, and she created this harmony in the family by her her sensitivity, to the point, here's another example, of it of aim, you know, you're not supposed to, sibling rivalry or sibling fighting is, is very hard on a parent, right? We know how hard that can be, God forbid. And when I brought my four boys, we used to fight, you know, it's normal. And But one time, I remember that one my mother was so frustrated trying to get us to stop fighting, she started crying. And we immediately all stopped, and we all blamed each other. You made mom cry! <laughs> it's like, you know, it was a sensitivity. <laughs> Who's missing the point? No, you, you guys were missing the point. The fact that you were fighting is what made her cry, and you were figuring out who is to blame for making her right, cry. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And but I, I, it was such a wonderful moment where we all realized how much we cared for her, and and we'd stop fighting because we knew that it was causing her distress, and the only way we could cope with it was to blame the other guy. But we all felt 
that moment of I can't believe we all made mom cry. And and that that that's a pivotal sensitivity, you know. You know, God, if if we all understood that we could do that, when God cries and He sees the Jewish people fighting with each other, or He sees the humanity fighting with each other, God's crying. Do we feel His pain? Do we feel that sensitivity? Only if we have a mother that cries when her children fight, can we really feel that. So it, she, they embedded in in me and Anne and my brothers very deep core values around caring, responsibility, love, empathy, just basic core values that you find in the Aserat that he brought. You find them all in the Ten Commandments. And because of that, I just, you know, I, I, I try to live up to that vision for my own children and grandchildren. And I, and, you know, talk about one of the ways that we give cover to our parents is we name our, in, in Sephardic tradition, even when they're alive, they get the names of their grandparents. But in Ashkenazi, it's after they've passed away. So I have a number of my children are carrying my parents' names now, uh, my grandchildren, I mean. Um, and it's a great blessing to have that feeling that when you look at this grandchild and you know that they're carrying the, the name of your parents, the feeling of doing something for your parents, even after they, or especially after they passed away, that you can, can actually give them honor by giving their values and their name that they carry from your family to a generation, it's now my grandparents, their great-grandchildren carry their name. It's a very, very heavy thing. It's, a, it's something you can't even, you know, it doesn't enter a, the category of let's name this and understand it. It's a transcendent experience to feel that closeness with your parents as you're holding a child that's carrying their name. And they learned it from, and who knows where they learned it from? Who knows how many generations of values were inculcated into your parents to have those midos. And in a, in a deeper way too, these are not simple characteristics. We talked about the divine, like it's the, the bridge, right? And I think Rabbi Foreman talks about the vertical. These are all vertical relationships, the relationship with God and then relationship with parents. These are imitating, emulating Hashem. Um, we are mandated to do so. And you had living examples of that, that it's, it's a direct, it's a direct like, learning it's not a it's not a book learning it's a rabbi Sachs, that's all calls it i think it's people learning this is a learning that you that goes into your kishkas this is a learning that you see that that doesn't impact you the way you would read a book um stories reach us when we read a story let's say we read a story about the honor the there's a famous story in the i think it's in the gemara that there's the non-jew who didn't wake up his parent um, there was a there was a clea that they needed for the base of Mikdash, I believe, right? They needed some sort of a utensil from the base of Mikdash that a non-Jew had, and it was in the room of his parent. He wouldn't wake that person up to get that holy object because he didn't want to wake him up and disturb. And then you could learn about the 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 the, the D bear, and then you can see it in your own life. So you can read stories. Stories is what the, the law itself is one level. Halacha. Then you go to Agada, which is another level. But then you have the agada of your own life, the personal stories that not only impact you because they're personal to you, they're real stories that you've experienced, but they're also rooted in you. You you are both biologically and spiritually a, an extension of your family and your parents. And it sounds like no matter what pathway you took, you did both continue halakhically to build what their lineage had started all the way back to Avram Avinu, but you consciously chose to learn 
and 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 download who they were as people, which is the greatest lesson on how to serve God and how to be a human being. Wow, beautiful, beautifully put. You know, the Rabbeinu Yonah says that the essence of uh, giving honor to your parents is to give them nachat ruach, right? Nachat ruach, we we say in the, the Yiddish nachas. form of that is nachas. And nachas is a, one of those non-translatable words because it, it, it speaks to a certain type of combination of pleasure and pride even in the, in the child. And it's something that's kind of transcendent in the sense that you're, you're experiencing something that is a deep extension of yourself manifest through your children or grandchildren. I think nachas is particularly special of grandchildren grandparents the grandchildren and when you've experienced it you know that this is like out of this world it's like a it's not a it's not ice cream <laughs> it's, it's it's a transcendent spiritual kind of pleasure that you can extend to many things once you have the, the experience of what nachas is now this is on the side of the grandchildren to the grand we know this kivit of aim this category of the deberg as we've already said goes both ways it has to do with parenting in a way that your children will want to give you pleasure. And it's parenting in a way that gives them the the education and the values that they'll want to honor the source of those values. But it also comes from realizing I, I, I get nachat from my children or my grandchildren, and they experience my nachat in them, and they want to give it back to me. And it's a cycle of, of feeling that connection. It's a nachat cycle, and I always give my children a blessing that they should have nachas from each other in their marriages. We should learn to have nachas from our spouses, give each other nachas. And it's, it's a certain connectedness to the pleasure that we seek, but it's a transcendent type of pleasure. It's nachat ruach in the Hebrew even. Nachat ruach means a spiritual pleasure. It's like it's it, the word ruach. It's a kind of spiritual... Well, I, I would know. actually, I would add to that a, a moment there, the nachas... One part of it that I feel is very much literal too is nachas, like having manucha or like, like some sort of like, breathe a sigh of relief, like oh, I'm st- I'm still I've done something. I've been passing down ideas and wisdom, and it and it, there's a there's like a sustainability feeling, like wow, it's 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 happening. Like it, it, it we're we're continuing this thing. We have that continuity. It's like whew, I can be. I can breathe a sigh of relief knowing that we're continuing this important, powerful um, wisdom and ideas. And 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 then I was saying too, like when I'm changing my child's diaper, that that's building the relationship of kibud avim because it's it's everything in relation to being a parent, and then by extension, the rest of of you know grandparent, great grandparent, all this kind of stuff is it's a transcendent thing because it's uh, it's it's linking you. And I am a I am a creation physiologically of of every single person that ever came through me, and then spiritually just as much. And it, 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 when you connect to the other generations, I talk to people a lot in mental health. And one time I was saying to someone who was feeling depressed, not that this is the solution. Believe me, there's serious depression that goes on. That's not a, a, you know a quick fix of a little thing. But I said, do you know anything about your grandparents, your great or your great grandparents? Like where you come from. Knowing where you come from, knowing the story that you're a part of regulates you because it is a part of you. It is a deep part of you. And if people don't know, ask, learn about your stories. That is about sustainability. That is about deep history, deep time. 
And um, we see this in this D-Bear. When we look at this D-Bear from the bigger perspective, it contains so much about deep time, deep history, transcendence, the land transcendence, caregiving, big ideas, big themes. And anything else that comes to mind for you as we're wrapping up this interview? I mean, what, what I thought of as you were sharing that is something that happened frequently when we teach the assert they brought in the Israeli school system, the so-called secular Mamachi school system. And the the grade seven a year, there's something called the Avodat Shorashim, where the children will interview their parents and grandparents as a year-long project talking about their specific family history and stories and how that, you know, and they produce a, a booklet, you know, they create a whole project around it. And they, at the end of the year, when we do the final program for the Assembly, they bring them. So I've had a chance to see dozens of these and I, I look at them. And we, many of the schools take one chapter on the idea of which of the Ten Commandments speaks to your family the most. And they, they then research that in, with their grandparents, you know, if it's, you know, respect for life and don't murder, whether it's don't covet, whether it's uh, emuna, belief in God, whether it's Shabbat, they, they do a little research in their family and they have a special chapter on the Diber that speaks most to me. And I always find it fascinating to see because it's, first of all, you're looking at the return of the Jewish people from, you know, from Iraq and from Russia and from Poland and America and Canada, everywhere, India, all in one class. You can have all of these kids in the same class. And then they expand on their relationship to their roots through this deber, that this core value that's been taught through the Aserat that they brought, the Ten Commandments. And I, I remember one incident that I'll just share as a little closing remark which is a little different, but I think it's important to add. I was teach in one of the classes, we do a special workshop on Kivarav Aim in the classes. And one of the most moving moments is when the parents and the children, the parents write to their children the values that are most important for them to communicate to them. And the children write to the parents what they most appreciate about them, the values they receive from them. They write it separately with some music in the background. And then they share this together and they hug and cry. It's like a, a script. It's an unscripted script that happens in this workshop. And I remember one father got up before this event and he said, I don't need my parent, my kids to, to honor me. I think it's wrong. I don't like this bear. It's a little bit, eh, it's forced. Why should my kid honor me? Then he should honor anybody else in the world. Doesn't make sense to me. And I remember this moment and, and all the parents are looking at him and the kids are looking and they're going like, whoa. What is this about? And I said to him gently afterwards, not in the group, I said, you know, I, I hear you and I understand your feelings, but how is your child going to learn about honoring anybody if not to honor the person that actually gave them life? It could be you're right that they, they should honor everybody. You're right. They should honor everybody should honor everybody. But where do we learn about this power of honoring people as a way of connecting to them, if not by the people that gave us life to give them that honor? That's the foundation that should and ultimately wanted to extend to being able to give that kind of honor and weightiness and respect and, and sensitivity to everyone. But it starts with the foundation of our relationship with our parents. And he looked at me and said, you know what? You're probably right. <laughs> wow. So it, it, it's a special D-Bear. I think it's a very, very special, special D-Bear to, to think about in so many dimensions. Um, my final wrap-up is a, a metaphor 
of um of Rabbi Foreman just about the love of God. Um, so he talks about how amoeba, amoeba A and amoeba B. There's some sort of connection between the generations there in terms of care, but it's probably not that deep. Then it gets to fish. Fish have certain characteristics of love between generations, but and how to care for each other, protect. Then you get to doll, um, something like uh, I think he mentioned um, whales. They have sophisticated um, systems that where they care for their their young, and and we see this in the, in the mammals and animals. And then we see the higher the life form, the more complex, the deeper the love. We get to human beings. Hard to describe a love for a parent that they have for their children. It's very hard to describe. It's deep, it's visceral, it's intense. And that is just a metaphor for the love of God for us. The more complex the creature, God, the most complex being entity, cannot even fathom how much love there is. So one way we can all connect to this beer is to love our families, of course. And because if we create a loving relationship, a loving foundation, they'll be able to look up and say, wow, I am so loved by my parents. Oh my gosh, I cannot even imagine how much God loves me. And I think those two relationships are so intertwined. Um, any parting words that you want to share on this um, before we finish this interview? When Avram Avinu was given the commandment to go to the land of Israel, and we know there's some complexities there of his relationship with his father, but putting that on the side for the moment, when he comes to Israel, he well, the, the command for him to come to Israel ends with the words, the beginning of the mission of the Jewish people to be the source of blessing to the entire world is I'm going to give you a land and through your living with these with this mission in the land, eventually the, all the families of the earth are going to receive your blessing. And I think it's Hirsch that points out the choice of the word family is here because we speak about the brotherhood of man. The family dimension, when the Jewish people fulfill a family, when we build families and we build them in the land of Israel, we extend this initial connection that we have because we all relate back to one family. We're all from one family. And that sensitivity of being one family is to extend to the entire nation. And with the family of Am Yisrael living as a family unit in Israel, we can create a message to all of humanity of the brotherhood of man and that will bring the blessing to the families of the earth because there'll be an understanding of how powerful and how important the values that hold family together can bring to all of humanity under our shared meta parent god amen so amen. It, it's 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 a it's a very important debate thank you so so much for sharing some of your personal history your teachings your idea on this debate and we look forward to having more of these interviews and to, to continuing our relationship with the Aserah Sedibros. Amen. Thank you, Noah.